Hey there, I'm so pumped to tell you about an amazing new community I've launched called Grief to Growth Circle Community. It's a space for people who are grieving to come together to support each other and for people who want to know who we are, why we're here, where we're going to have those conversations, all the things we talk about on the podcast. So I invite you to join me at grieftogrowth.com slash community to become part of this compassionate crew. The best part is 100% free. And you have access to me in addition to everybody else in the community. In fact, the podcast will be there so you can talk about the things we talk about in the podcast right there in the community. There's also some premium content if you want to go deeper in the work I'm doing, but mostly it's about building relationships and community and about sharing resources and supporting each other. So come on over and check it out. It's grieftogrowth.com slash community. I'll see you inside. Hi there. Welcome to Grief to Growth Podcast. Your host is Brian Smith, spiritual seeker, best-selling author, grief survivor, and life coach. Brian believes that the worst tragedies of life provide the greatest opportunity for growth. Brian says he was planted, not buried, and he is here to help you grow where you've been planted by the difficulties in life. In each episode, Brian and his guests will share what has helped them to survive and thrive. It is his sincere hope this episode helps you today. Hey, everybody. This is Brian back with another episode of Grief to Growth. And today I've got with me William Peters. Uh, I've known William for about four years now. I've been following his work, but uh, this is the first time he and I have actually talked face to face. But he's the founder of the Share Crossing Project, and he's director of its research initiative. And what it is, it's a nonprofit that works to raise awareness and educate people about the profound healing, profound and healing experiences that are possible for the dying and their loved ones. He's a global leader in shared death studies and end-of-life phenomenon. He conducts workshops and presents internationally. He's a psychotherapist specializing in grief and bereavement and served as a hospice worker with the Zen Hospice Project in San Francisco. He's had two NDEs and a variety of shared crossings that inform his perspective on death, dying, and the afterlife. William's work has appeared in the American Journal of Hospice and Palliative Medicine, Omega Journal of Death and Dying, and CNN News. His best-selling book is called At Heaven's Door, which shared journeys to the afterlife teach about dying and living better. And that was recently published by Simon & Schuster. We'll be talking about his book today. Uh, The website will be, I'll I'll say this again later, but I'll just say it now while we're here, is sharedcrossing.com. So with that, I want to welcome to uh, Grief to Growth, William Peters. Thanks for having me, Brian. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's it's really I'm really looking forward to this conversation. As I was saying, I don't know that you knew it, but I've been following your work for a while. And we happened to run each other at a conference a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, I got to get this guy on because everybody needs to know about the shared death experience. But I don't think a lot of people do. So let's start with what is a shared death experience? Yes. So a shared death experience occurs when somebody dies and a loved one, caregiver, or bystander, even often a healthcare worker, will report that they shared in the journey from this human life into uh, the afterlife. Of course, that's going with the dying person. And this is experienced in in a number of different ways. Sometimes it's just sensing, and they feel like they've just had this sense that a person's dying, and they feel the journey, if you will. And then, but the most common way we have is that they actually witness and observe what we call death-related phenomena, which is seeing uh, deceased relatives or 
participating uh, in a life review of sorts or, or seeing the light. Oftentimes in the most common experience is the shared death experiencer sees the dying progressing along this journey. Now, there are a couple of features uh, that are important in the SDE. The first one is that the dominant motif is journey. There, there has to be this sense of movement that mm-hmm. the experiencer is sensing, feeling, observing, or in some cases actually accompanying the dying along this, uh, this pathway. If it's not that, then it's another experience. Could be pre-death dream or vision, could be post-death vision, vision or visitation, what have you. But that's the, that's the distinguishing uh, element. Also, the shared death experience yields this sense of everything's about love. It's this kind of, the people that have these experiences will come back and say, it was all love and I understood everything. So we say it's love and understanding. Uh, and the phenomena are identical if, you know, most, I mean, we can, we say identical because we haven't seen any phenomena in the SDE that don't appear in an NDE. So very similar ph- phenomena. Yeah, I, I think, um, again, most people are familiar with the NDE and we've heard of dream visitations and sometimes even apparitions or something that'll happen when someone's crossing over. But I don't know that a lot of people are familiar with the with the shared death experience. So I really appreciate you getting that message out there. And I appreciate you explaining in such detail what it is, this idea of almost going along with the person as they're crossing over. Yes, exactly. Um, and, and that's why the bond is between the experiencer and the person dying is really important. Uh, and that we see as kind of the substrate of the relationship. Now, we do have healthcare workers, uh, hospice workers in particular, who will have SDE with, with their patients. And some people will say, well, why didn't the brother, partner, loved one have the SDE with the person dying rather than the hospice worker? Well, what we often find in these cases is the hospice worker will say something like, I was really close to so-and-so when he or she was dying. Mm-hmm. And there's often this experience as well. And her family was resistant to her dying. And so at that moment of death, there seems to be the dying may reach out to somebody who's really affirming and there for them around the transition piece itself. So we, we don't have a lot of those cases, but sometimes that you scratch your head and say, wait a minute, the family was around the bed, but the hospice nurse was there too. And she had the experience. Now you can have a multi-person SDE as well. More than one person can have it, but um, we only see that in about 12% of our cases. And that would be a low number. The reason why is when you, when you uh, do when we're doing research to actually validate and document a multi-person SDE, it takes those family members who have had it to share the experience. And funny thing that we found is oftentimes family members are divided about whether they want to share it or not. And mm-hmm. so that, that dampens down our data as to how many times a shared SDE might occur. Yeah, I, I would imagine some people might think it's a personal thing, but some people also might feel like uh, people are going to think I'm crazy. Both. You, you're right, Brian. We get both of those. 
So I'm curious, how did you get into this field? Because you're the only person I know that's doing this work. Yeah. So, I mean, I had a near-death experience when I was 17 years old, a high-speed skiing accident. And it was a classic near-death experience. I, on impact, I catapulted out of my body. I saw my body on the ski slopes. I was moving away rapidly. At some point, I had a satellite view of my body on the ski slopes. And all the time this was, I was moving away, I was having a life review. So I got to see every detail of my life played out for me. Then I saw the light out in the distance. I was just a beautiful galaxy, uh, but the light got my attention and I realized, oh, I'm dying. Wow, I'm dying. And I don't want to die. Unlike so many near-death experiencers, I actually pled with God to come back and have hmm. uh, more of my life. So I did. Uh, but before I came back, uh, while I was in the light, just as, as uh, I say, God was pushing me back to earth, I heard, uh, make something of your life. And that was quite profound. Uh, mm-hmm. So I would have another near-death experience uh, about a decade later in an ICU uh, where I had a blood imbalance. And in that situation, I just found myself in the middle of the night hovering above um, well, at the top of the ICU, just below the ceiling. And it was quite beautiful um, experience. I had no pain. I was a free floating consciousness. I was there for a long time, listening to conversations of nurses and janitors and other healthcare staff. Um, and I didn't even know I had a body down below until the doctor tapped on my hand. And uh, I was I was asleep, so it looked I was unconscious uh, in that ICU bed. But when he tapped on me and called out my name, I said, "Oh, I'll look over." I, I got you know not much going on in the ICU at four o'clock in the morning, so I moved over there and looked. I go, "Oh my gosh, that's me! That's me down below there." And then I had this question about whether I would answer him because you say, "Mr. Peters, Mr. Peters, I want to." Uh, would you uh, wake up? You know and and I and then I said, okay, I'll I'll answer him. And as I did answer him, I filled in my body, uh, and mm. and the view of the doctor changed from seeing him from above, looking at his crown, to now looking through my eyes right into his spectacles, mm. uh, and that was an interesting, rapid shift of perspective. So those are my two NDEs, uh, but I also worked in San Francisco during the AIDS epidemic. And uh, this would be the late 80s. This happened before my, between my two SDEs. And when I was working with these communities, primarily of, of gay men uh, who were dying of the HIV virus, uh, I provided social services. I provided counseling services, grief and bereavement. And I befriended a lot of people in the community because this was a hard time. And and I was somebody who was very receptive um, just to provide services. I mean, that was my job, but I really enjoyed uh, providing the services and having conversations that, um, that gave me insight into what these communities were going through and how I could Mm -hmm. help. Mm -hmm. So I made friends with one gentleman um, whose name 
is um, Brad. I changed the name. I'm thinking of his real name. And then in the book, I changed his name just so you know. So it's yeah. Brad. Uh, and Brad uh, was kind of a death doula uh, before his time, or might, mm. what we might want to call as a psychopomp in the sense that he helped soul spirits in human bodies cross over into the afterlife. Wow. And, and so he would share stories with me. And one day he came in and shared this story that just really opened my heart. And, and you'll see why, when I share it with you, why it resonated with me, he talked about his uh, he called him his brother, all of them. They lived in, they were homeless and they lived in encampments and, in, bur- in a burned out building in South of market in San Francisco. And so, hmm. and, and he shared that as his brother was dying, Randy, uh, the, the community of a, sounded like about an eight to 10 people were gathered around his bed. Uh, and then they saw him rise out of his body up a cylinder of light. And as he got to the top of you know, like what sounded like the top of the room, um, he looked down at everybody did Randy he was healthy. He was happy. He was at peace. And he kind of bowed to everybody saying, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for caring me, for caring for me. I love you. Um, and I'll see you again later. And then he just bolted away. And so that experience had happened not more than a few hours before Randy uh, came into my office and he was quite emotionally moved by it. He was weeping as he shared the story. And when I heard it, I immediately remembered my own first uh, near-death experience about how I had risen out of my body and how I had seen that light and uh, how I moved, ascended upwards. And so it just, and he looked at me and he says, you know, do you believe me? Hmm. And I looked at him and I said, I believe you. And it just struck me as so strange. It's like, well, of course I believe you. Uh, and, and, and it was such a natural response. Like it made me think, I mean, people don't believe these experiences. So, you know, I was only at that time, 25, 26, 27 years old in that time period. And so um, I always had a sense for an afterlife. I grew up Catholic. Uh, now the afterlife that I learned about in the, in the NDEs was radically different, but um, still, I just found it interesting that, that, And I would learn that. And in my research, Brian, this is what we see, is that people who have the SDE are very scared of of sharing it. Uh, They'll often be in a hospital with someone dying, and they'll have the experience. And sometimes, you know, many years later, they'll come and see me. and And I'll say, well, have you shared this with anybody? And they'll say, well, I shared it with my partner or my best friend. And, and I'll say, well, how was that? And they go, well, you know, I, they heard me, but, it's, you know, it wasn't like they were like, tell me more. Uh, mm-hmm. It was kind of like, you know, and you started out our interview saying this very well. I think the, well, we know the SDE is just now coming into public awareness and people are talking about this and the mere you know, fact of your generosity to invite me onto your, your show here today suggests that there is increasing interest. Um, so, but people are afraid to share these experiences, yeah. uh, not all the time, but can be. Uh, we certainly find that in our interviews, about 39% uh, 
of our interviewees will say that they feel um, some apprehension about either being dismissed, discounted, or ridiculed. Yeah. Well, you know, we talked about, I think, before we started recording, you know, Raymond Moody kind of opened the door in the late 1970s for the near-death experience, even though people have been having them for thousands of years. Uh, The SDE, I can only think of one other person. I've had her on my program. Her name is Lisa Jones, I can say, because she's been on the program a couple of times. And I and I heard her tell her story. I can't remember if this before I met you or after. And I'm like, I've never heard of anything like this. And for people that don't know, she accompanied her her husband who was passing up to a certain point and saw like the whole family there waiting and, and him b- being announced and the whole and I'm getting goosebumps just as I say this, you know, the whole going home and got to witness that. And I didn't even know that was a thing. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I'm testing out a new feature. I'd love to get your feedback on it. It's called Fan Mail, and you can send me a message right from the show notes of the podcast. So look for the link that says send me a text. You can ask a question for a future podcast. You can suggest a guest or just give me any feedback you want. Just remember, it is one way I can't text you back, and I will not have your name, your email address, or your phone number unless you include it in the message. Let me know what you think. Yeah. And Lisa's um, experience is, is lovely because she also talks about uh, the greeting party that you mentioned with mm-hmm. the family, the deceased relatives there. But she also talks about a, a palace, uh, a really huge and a party that's being prepared. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot. Of, she doesn't see the party, but she sees people scurrying about uh, to get ready for the arrival of her husband, of her husband, uh, her husband's untimely death. Um, so yes, you are. I'm, I agree. I mean, I, I think, you know, well, I can say this, that the interest in SDE and, and, and people's reaching out to me since my book came out and which it only happened in January of this year mm-hmm. has been overwhelming. I mean, I, I am thankful that people are you know, genuinely interested in um, lots of interviews, lots of podcasts, lots of you know, good people like you who are in the know about, hey, what's of interest right now? What's trending in a positive way? And, and I feel like um, that is what's happening for the shared death experience currently. Well, well I want to promote anything that promotes hope to people. So the, the S-D-E-S-T-E as in spiritually transformative experiences, out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, they all point to the same thing, that we are consciousness living in a body temporarily. When the body dies, we 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 go home, you know. But the thing about the shared death experience that is, I think, uh, kind of different from some of the other ones maybe is, and the thing I love about your institute, and I'm going to talk about this, is people can plan to try to facilitate a shared death experience, which I learned when I heard you speak four years ago at the, at the AREI conference. So, so talk about that, because it's great to, to have these experiences, near-death experiences. You don't want to have this. I always tell people, people say, I'd like to have a near-death experience. Everybody I've talked to says you don't want to have one. But the shared death experience might be different. Well, yeah, the, you know, and there's a key difference, obviously. A near-death experience is typically some sort of significant physiological stress. Uh, doesn't have to be a brush with death, but most of them are. Mm-hmm. And 
uh, a shared death experience is experienced by, like I said, a caregiver, loved one, healthy in mind and body. Uh, and in two thirds of the cases that we have found, and now you know, over 250 plus cases we've deeply analyzed, um, two thirds of them are remote. So you're just doing your life and all of a sudden, you know, whoa, I'm thinking of Aunt Betty and I'm seeing my grandmother and a lot of family members. And why am I seeing scenes of my life together with Aunt Betty? So this is like, this is people just cooking and all of a sudden that pops into their mind. So mm-hmm. so they're, they're clearly not harmful at all to anyone's health. And they're available to everyone, to everyone. And that means because everyone we know is going to die and we are too. So, um, so yeah. And I think you asked another question, Brian, I don't know if I answered it. Well, we're talking about the fact that people don't really know about this, but what I, what I, I, so we're, we're trying to do two, I'm trying to do two things with this program. One is to raise awareness on that, but also let people know how you can facilitate this, how you might be able to have it happening. Yeah. If you've got a loved one that's, that you, you know, some, sometimes people go suddenly, we can't, nothing we can do about that. But if you have a loved one that you know is, is slipping away, is there something that we can do to maybe increase our chances of having one of these? Yeah. So I'm going to say a couple things. Um, first is the most basic thing you can do if you happen to be at bedside is when somebody is dying, attune deeply to them. Close your eyes. Breathe with them. Gently place your hand uh, somewhere. I like to put it on a pulse because it really puts you in touch with how their internal organs are functioning. Um, and you'll feel it slow down or you'll feel it, you know, do all sorts of changes towards stopping and go, you know, it's all sorts of, um, that's just a deep connection to that being. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said, clear, you know, you don't have so much clear your mind, but do really meditative breathing and allow yourself to go with whatever images appear to you or thoughts that appear to you. And that's it. And, and that's that's the most basic way. And mm-hmm. do we know how many that yields? No, because um, I know that I that's the most simple way to do it. Now, there are far more um, in-depth trainings, and we offer them. I have a whole program that I've done for over a decade called the Shared Crossing Pathway Seminar. Mm-hmm. And it does three things. It first raises people's awareness and educates them about a variety of shared crossing experiences, a variety of spiritual end-of-life experiences. The the pinnacle experience is the SDE for sure, but there's also pre-death dreams and visions. There's also terminal lucidity. There's post-death visions and visitations. There are synchronicities throughout. So I do a good deal of... uh, of kind of training and education about that on, on the first day of, a, of the seminar. Mm-hmm. It's just really an evening. It's like a few hours in the evening. And then on day two, I do what I call death prep. And that is we review our lives. We look for regrets. We look for the unfinished business of our lives. And then we work with ourselves to bring in compassion and forgiveness. And we make menses where we can. Uh, and then what we then what we find ourselves naturally moving towards is gratitude. And 
And then when that kind of, that kind of primes the pump for psycho-emotional spiritual clearing, because what we know is when someone's dying, if they have unfinished business, it tends to be a weight or hook that makes the transition a little bit more difficult. So if you can get clear psycho-emotionally, spiritually with yourself and with people, uh, that helps. And then we set people up with this. Um, I'll even tell you the exercise. It's quite lovely. We have people sit across from each other, especially if they know each other. You can do this inside your you know, intrapsychically, like in your own your mind's eye. Or if you come with somebody to the workshop, you can sit across from them and do this exercise we call thank you, I love you, goodbye. And what that means is you thank the person for the life you've shared together. You tell them, uh, I love you. And then you say something like goodbye, but goodbye is more of a bit of a, a statement that has some texture in it. Like we've spent such a lovely life together. I just want to thank you and, and acknowledge that one of us will be dying from the other. So I want to say goodbye now. I want to honor that death will come to one of us at some point. And these are profound exercises. And then we go into the last third part of the program is teaching the shared crossing protocols, which um, I like to say that I developed, but the truth of the matter is they were like dropped into my mind. Like you might want to call it a psychic download. Mm -hmm. When I was, when I first heard about the shared death experience from Raymond Moody, I was so excited. I ran up to him and I said, Raymond, I've had these experiences and I think I actually know how to make them happen. And he laughed. He says, you know, we don't know anything about how these experiences have. I said, oh no. I think I know how to make them happen. He goes, mm. well, do tell. And, and, and then later on at that conference, we talked, but the, that day they dropped into my mind about some key, um, the landscape, which is not a, typically a visual landscape. It's more of an energetic landscape, but it's really trainable. And, and so I do guided visualizations with people and I teach people how to call back to their surviving loved ones. So there's all these steps that we do in this workshop um, and I, and by the way, um, I, I do it both in person and online. Uh, so uh, online, um, you know, has been the impetus of the pandemic. Before, we used to always gather up in different places around the country, right? And and do it. So yeah, that's a long-winded way of answering it. But the real point being is, we find that that we can train people in having certainly different types of shared crossings because about. 80 to 90% of our participants will get back to us within six months to a year and say, I had this, I had that. And it's anecdotal, but we'll do a deeper, we're going to do a deeper dig on it coming up here. We're putting that questionnaire together, but, but the SDE itself, the, you know, that kind of queen of experiences, if you will, mm -hmm. um, about 25% to 50%. And, and I think that's, I'm, I think we can do better with that, especially as um, there's more cultural fluency with the concept. Right. Uh, become, yeah. Once we get, it gets more into our cultural DNA, so to speak. So when you're training people, are you training them from the perspective of being the, the witness or being the person crossing or both? Both. Okay. Yeah. We go back and forth and that's why we work in dyads. And uh, as, as we know, uh, you never know who's going to die first or second in our relationship. So uh, we may think we know, um, but we do it both ways. 
Right. And there's, there's a fair amount of what I call entrainment. Um, so the more we do these guided visualizations and practices, the more a groove gets laid down um, in our, I think it's just our kind of neuropsychology, if you will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll, here's another statistic that's very interesting. We found that 41% of our now you know, 250 plus cases, 41% will have more than one SDE. So that tells you mm-hmm. this is is something that can be trained and acquired. And we run with that because yeah. that's the best news that we've heard. Because once people start having these, they, well, they really want to be around death and they want to help people. They want to, you know, uh, they want to go into the afterlife with their with their loved ones. And who could blame them? Because it's it's really a beautiful, lovely um, blissful, you know, awe inspiring experience. You know, and as you're saying this, I'm just, uh, I'm getting goosebumps. And I'm just really, uh, energized, I guess is like for lack of a better word, because we see death as dark as something to be feared. We see it as, as the end. And my whole mission is to, to, to break that. Right. And if you like, when I, I think about Lisa's story and looking at her husband going off to this great adventure, and you're talking about this journey and this traveling, it's not it's not the end for our loved one. It's like a a whole new beginning that we're all going to go through. And that's what I love about the, what you're doing is it's just changing that perspective. Yes, it's birth into another dimension, which from all reports that we've had and others who study in this field tell us is far more desirable uh, than being in the earth plane. The earth plane in the human realm is a pretty tough realm. Uh, It's, you know, there's a good deal of pain and suffering. I don't need to tell you that, Brian, you're well aware of that. Yeah, like I said, I I think that um, I I want to do anything I can to to raise awareness of this, because when I heard you speak a few years ago, I'm like, this is something that people don't know. And and when I heard your training on it, because that was a part of the surprise me, is that we can learn to to have this. And and there's kind of a hierarchy, as you said, there's uh, I was just talking with a neighbor the other day, her brother passed away very, you know, very recently. And she was telling me about three experiences she had. One was like she thought she kind of saw him out of the corner of her eye. And the other was a couple of signs where something in her house, you know, kind of strange happened. But, you know, she told me because I'm out there. I'm, people think, I don't know if people think I'm crazy or not, whatever they think, but I'm out there. You know, I, I, I tell, I share my experiences. I bring on people that share their experiences and it gives people permission to share their experiences. So it'd be really interesting to see once the S share death experience becomes more known, if we see there's a lot more people having them than we might, than we might think. I think you're right, um, that they are far more ubiquitous than we know. Um, one of the most common experiences I have is I go to a conference, I'll give a talk, and afterwards, a few dozen people will come up to me yeah. uh, and say, I mean, even walking down the hall at the last conference we were at, uh, you know, in Arizona there, Ryan, you know, that was a big conference. Mm-hmm. and. And I'm telling you, I couldn't go down the hall for the rest of the conference after I gave my talk. Someone would just run into me and just say, oh, hey, I wanted to talk to you. 
I had this, 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 and this. And, and I just so appreciate that because people, when they're saying it to me, they're not saying it with a sense of, um, Hey, did, is this real or not? You know, if they've heard me speak and I've done a little research themselves on it, they'll realize that their experience is indeed validated. They are affirmed and they want to share it. And, and, and I love hearing it. So, but before hearing a talk of mine, typically they didn't know they had one. So, uh, so I'm sure they're lurking in much higher numbers. I mean, mm -hmm. if we look at the literature in near-death experiences, they say it's about 4%. So, you know, in the United States, that's going to be something like, you know, 12 to 14 million people. And, and, but just think that takes a near-death experience. But people are dying all the time. And if that veil opens, if you will, um, similarly at the NDE as an SDE, then there's a lot of opportunities to have an SDE for people. So I'm, you know, I'm not making any predictions about how what percentage of the American population it is, but it would certainly be higher than the NDE population. Yeah, that's really interesting because uh, even with NDEs, we're finding out that percentages are higher than we thought the more that we do research into them. And when you think about the numbers, there's like 300 some million, 350 million people in the United States. That's a lot of NDEs that have been had. And I hear some people say, oh, it's just anecdotal or there's small numbers and they try to explain it away. Um, but there's a lot of people having them. You know, there's there's a lot of people on Earth and, and there's uh, thousands or millions of people that have had these experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in your research. um, what have you found? How does the SDE, the shared death experience, I would have to be careful. I don't say STE. But how does the SDE, uh, how does it impact people's grief? We'll get back to grief to growth in just a few seconds. Did you know that Brian is an author and a life coach? If you're grieving or know someone who is grieving, his book, Grief to Growth, is a best-selling, easy-to-read book that might help you or someone you know. People work with Brian as a life coach to break through barriers and live their best lives. You can find out more about Brian and what he offers at www.grieftogrowth.com, www.grief, the number two, growth.com, or text growth, growth, to 31996. If you'd like to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash grieftogrowth www.patreon.com slash G-R-I-E-F, the number two, G-R-O-W-T-H, to make a financial contribution. And now, back to Grief to Growth. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi there. I'm really excited to tell you about my latest ebook. It's four lessons that you can learn from the near-death experience without going through all the trouble of dying to learn them. I've been studying NDEs for several years now. I am completely convinced that not only are they 100% real, but that there's some very universal wisdom that we can get from the near-death experience. And I've distilled that down in this book into four short lessons. And I've also given you all the reasons why I believe the NDEs are absolutely real. So go to www.grieftogrowth.com slash NDE lessons to pick it up for free www.grief2growth.com slash NDE lessons. I hope you enjoy it. A beautiful question and one that I am keenly focused on as a grief and bereavement psychotherapist. 
This is what was so moving to me is that when I have clients who come to see me for grief and bereavement and they have an SDE, what, what they tend to express is something like this. Well, I know my loved one. I, I, I feel the loss of my loved one and, it, and it's heart, heartbreaking. But I also know that my loved one is alive and well somewhere and that we'll be reunited again. And they're not going to say that my grief isn't so bad. But me as a clinician who knows what grief looks like at different levels and how people are processing it, I, I say that, that SDE experiencers um, have grief processes that are contextualized with a cushion of, wow. of SDE, a, a sense of, yes, you miss your loved one, but you also know your loved one is alive and well. And you also know that uh, death is not an end because that's another one of the after effects with the SDE is that mm-hmm. they report that they don't fear death anymore. They don't have anxiety about death anymore. They realize death is a transition. We're all going to do it. And in some cases, they're excited about it. Most cases, they're just like, oh, I'll wait till my time comes. Yeah. So, yeah. So grief and bereavement processes with SD experiencers are, you know, significantly um, less painful in a certain way. Yeah. I, I love the way you put that. I've never heard it put that way. Contextualize with a cushion. Because yeah. I look at as grief as having two components. Well, it's got many. But from this perspective, two components, I'm grieving for myself, for my loss, and I'm grieving for my my loved one's loss of life. Uh, And no matter how old they are, if they're 80, 90, 100 years old, we still grieve their loss, what we perceive as their loss of life, their loss of opportunity, especially I think the younger they are, my daughter being 15, you know, we we perceive a bigger loss. But the thing that this does, it takes away half of that. It doesn't mean that you don't grieve. But now you're grieving for yourself as opposed to grieving for your loved one. And that's a blessing that I've I've had. I've never grieved for my daughter. I've grieved her loss, but I haven't grieved what she lost. That's that's uh, makes sense to me. Um, I think, oh, I know from the research when we, you know, engage our participants in, you know, their type of grief as it relates to the loss of life for their loved one, what they often say is almost flippantly, oh, I know he or she's alive and well, fine. I, I, it's my loss I'm dealing with. I know she's okay. Yeah. You know, and, and that's a rather strong statement, but it comes out so natural for uh, the experiencers. You know, I've been immersed in this so long now. It's been about six years. I've been with Helping Parents Heal. And that's pretty much added. To, I can't say everybody in the organization of 20,000 people, but that's the attitude of the organization. It's kind of like our, our loved ones are okay. They're happy, healthy, they're whole. Yeah. I've been hanging around with people like you and, you know, Suzanne Giesman and all these different people. And that's that's a very freeing perspective that I think sometimes we might take for granted that other people don't have, That that they're like, I've, that person has lost something and we, and we grieve because of them. And again, I think that's, what's so, so important about this and removal of the fear of death, which is another side effect of the NDE. Same thing as with the SDE people that have had shared death experience and NDEs are like, I don't, I don't fear death. I, you know, 
you said some people aren't rushing towards it. Um, I've heard people say, I still feel the fear of the process, but being dead, I'm cool with that. Yeah. Well, dying is different than death. Uh, right. Dying is, it, it can be a painful process, um, but death itself, pretty natural. So um, you tell me about one, because you've had a couple of SDEs, right? Uh, yeah, numerous. Yeah. So can, can you tell me about one of them? Yeah, you know, I'll I'll uh, I'll share one that um, I had with my father, uh, mm. and this is just two years ago. And you know, he was dying. This is during COVID, so you imagine us in PPE uh, around his bed in his memory care facility. Mm. And I'm on one side, um, close to his, you know, shoulders up near his head. And my mother's on the other side because my mother was in bed with him. And my sister's there as well on the other side, more towards um, his feet. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing what I tend to do, which is I have my hand uh, on the, on his pulse around his wrist. And I'm breathing with him. And, you know, as people get close to death, they often get altered breathing mm-hmm. patterns. And so I'm just matching my breath with his. And then I'm closing my eyes to sense and feel him in a certain way um, because, you know, he's unresponsive. So I'm just feeling into his energetics, if you will. Mm-hmm. And as I do that, I see popping up to my left. It's not so much that it popped up. It's like it just kind of came into view now slowly. And then, wow, there's my grandmother and my aunt, both predeceased. And then there's this gentleman who's in a suit who I recognize as my grandfather, but I'd never seen him in my life. He died before I was born. And he runs over to my, runs over. It's kind of interesting, but he moves over from the foot of the bed over to my mother. And I say to my mother, hey, Grandpa Bill is moving over to communicate something to you. And he's telling you, thank you for having been such a wonderful wife to my son for 64 years. Mm. And I'm just getting all that. Now, this, you know, you, you know, this is not um, words that I hear audibly. And, mm-hmm. and we find that this is either called what's often referred to in the research community as thought transference um, or, or telepathic communication. But I'm getting it loud and clear what's going on. And then I go back to my grandmother and aunt who I knew in, from my life. And I notice that there is a white light, like a stairway coming down from where they are, about a quarter way to where he is. And I just, I'm here with them, you know, asking them questions in my mind. And um, and at one point I go, why aren't you taking him? Because he's ready to go and he's, mm-hmm. you know. And they look at me, my aunt and grandmother, and they take, they look almost look at me in a certain way. They, they, they take my attention and with their eyes, they avert my attention and move it um, over to the center of the bed, just in this, over the, the abdomen of my father, but elevated a bit. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I lock my energy with 
a being, a presence. I can't see it, but I feel it. And I start weeping. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, this is a, a being that I have labeled the conductor. This is that force in the shared death experience. It's not just in the shared death experience, but in the shared death experience, you get a, you get a, a glimpse at it mm-hmm. or at least an experience of it. This being is in charge of moving human spirit, souls, consciousness from a human body into the afterlife. And I felt this conductor. And as I felt it, I thought, oh, now I should, you know, um, say that I've been fascinated with the conductor for a number of years. And I didn't think that in my father's death, I would even have an SDE, although I'm glad I did for sure. Mm. But I, but the fact that I was kind of gifted this experience of the conductor was spectacular. Um, and then, you know, sometime later, my father transitioned. The conductor was just basically giving me a sense that we're getting there and don't worry about it. But the conductor is like kind of businesslike, you know, it's mm. not not there for me. Uh, yeah. seem, seem to be managing a lot and waiting for the right time. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's an SDE. Yeah. Yeah, and there and there is and uh, there is a process to to death. I um I don't know I if you caught Julie Ryan's presentation at the Healthy Parents Hill Conference. Um, it was really interesting her talking about this this process that goes on and how the the these beings gather and I think everyone's a little bit different, but there's also it's orderly. It's not like it's like there and there seems to be a time. And there's a time for people to go. So I think people might be surprised to find out that there's preparations on, on the other side and yeah. there are beings that, that move us over and helpers and stuff like that. It's it's a, it's a really fascinating process the more we study it. Yes, it is. It is, Brian. Uh, and, 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 you know, the SDE is one glimpse into the mechanics of it, both the mechanics and the pathway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, one of the things I will mention uh, about SDEs that I find fascinating is that light is presented in various different ways. Oftentimes, it's a light way in the distance, a pinprick or a manhole of light. Sometimes it's a cylinder of light. Sometimes it's like an escalator of light. It's almost always leading upwards. Uh, and that's a big theme in the SDE is ascension journey with ascension he- heading upwards. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I've had a number of other ones. I've had some basic SDEs where I'm just sitting with somebody. I mean, I just had one three weeks ago when a family member died. Mm. Um, and we, you know, she was on memory. She was in memory care. We knew she was going. And I just, just moments after she died, I was there. Um, and by the way, that tells you, you about 77% of our SDEs happen right at the moment of, you know, medically determined death, cessation of brain waves and heart, heart uh, stopping. But mm-hmm. we also have about 9% that happen a few moments, hours before, and also uh, about 14% um, uh, after, a little bit mm-hmm. after. Mm-hmm. So in this case, I was there. And with this family member. And as I was there, maybe 20, 25 minutes after she died and I was just there and I just closed my eyes 
And I just said, which I do often, and I said this earlier, but I'll, I'll say it again a bit. Close, your, close my eyes and say, I wish you well. I thank you for having shared your life with me. I love you. Be well. Godspeed. Be well. And if I can help in any way, if you want to send me a message, my heart and mind are open to you. And boom, just in doing that, a few mm-hmm. moments later, uh, she she didn't so much appear to me as some of her family members did, which is my family members. Um, but I, I should say family members distantly. She was elderly, so these are people her grand her her parents, which would be quite old. I'd never met them, but I'd heard of them. So when they appeared, I knew who they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the things when people appear, you tend to know who they are, even if you've met them or not, even if you've never met them, you just get a sense for who they are. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, that, that's just another one. Um, but you know, I, there are adepts with this. And I said that 41% will have more than one. And I've had probably a couple dozen. Um, I don't know people who have had more than me, but I thought, but I, I know there are, I think there are, I, I'll tell you who has, you know, more indigenous cultures where they have, you know, shamans and such who I have had some conversations where they, where I ask them about the SDE and they kind of look at me and say, yeah, of course. I'll yeah. Yeah. Kind of, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just a little Western guy who's kind of way behind the times. I know the ancient wisdom hasn't changed for those who haven't lost it. So, right. um, so yeah, I hope that helps give some texture to this. Yeah, absolutely. It does. I, I'm curious as a, as a rational kind of person, I'm a chemical engineer and, you know, NDEs are awesome. I love studying NDEs. What's really cool is the veridical NDEs where, where there's mm-hmm. some evidence that someone's witnessed something. Are there any veridical SDEs where people can say that they saw something that someone else can verify or they know the moment of death through someone who was remote or something like that? Well, we do have a number of veridical around the time of death. Um, somebody will say, you know, I had this, well, they call, they say it's a dream, but it's, that's, that's just what they call it. Um, because if they're sleeping and they have the SDE, they'll say, well, I was dreaming and, but Mm -hmm. they had the SDE and they, when they corroborate the time later, they realize, oh my God, that was just at the time that so-and-so died. They got up, they looked at their clock radio and boom, they record it and remember it. Um, so, so Yeah. Uh, we do have some of those. We also have some very interesting verticals um, in terms of like, here's a great one. This is from someone um, who's in, in, the, in my book as well. Sonia, you'll remember her. Um, Cause if your listeners want to do get a chance to go to the book, Sonia has a couple really beautiful SDEs, but in one, she talks about um, she's in Massachusetts and her good friend is dying in Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. And she feels like she's put to sleep at around, you know, seven o'clock or so in the evening. And she finds out that's just the time later. She finds out that's just the time that her friend Denny was uh, dying in Santa Barbara. Oh, wow. But then interesting about this is the vision she sees of Denny, the dress she, she sees Denny in later that month, she is looking in a catalog. And she sees this dress and it just grabs her. And she says, that's the dress Danny has on. And I've never seen that dress before. And so for her, it was evidential 
that um, this was a, you know, a foretelling, if you will, um, mm-hmm. uh, about that she would get confirmation later for the experience. So, so yes, we do have some veridicals, but veridicals with SDEs are a little bit harder. Um, right. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. I was, I was curious about that because I think, um, again, skeptics, they're, they're going to be there. I believe, I believe all this stuff. Yeah. But uh, it's, you know, and people try to explain, okay, why maybe it's just wishful thinking, maybe it's hallucinations, uh, you know, stuff like that. So those, even those few kind of can help to say, okay, well, we can't verify all of them, but we can verify some of them. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. tell me more about the the research that you guys do, because I, I, I saw your talk at IANS. And for anybody that does happen to have the uh, access to the recordings, IANS, I do recommend you go listen to, to William's talk because it was fascinating uh, watching you interview some of the people who had had shared death experiences. So tell me about the Research Institute. So the Shared Crossing Research Institute, you know, our mission is to collect and document the SDE. We are the first research institute to create a typology. And I did this, you know, a number of years ago, even before we started doing the research, it was done clinically. I started seeing patterns. And then we did our first research starting in, you know, 20, well, we did a research project in 2013, 14, 15, um, testing the methods, originally the methods we used to facilitate um, the SDE. And we found, um, well, one of the problems is people don't die. So it's hard to test try to get valid data. So we have to wait for people to die. But we, like I said, I already shared that already about 25 to 50%. We are pretty sure have an SDE after they've done our methods, our courses. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. there's that, but then, you know, then what's happened is we've really identified um, the different types of SDEs that occur. And, you know, there's more detail in my book about that, but you know, they're at bedside, they're remote, their time space continuum is different. Uh, it doesn't make, you know, you know, 75% at, at the time of death, roughly 77% and then 23% before, a little bit before or after multi-person SDEs. We know that's happened with 12%. I have statistics for, you know, all the different features that we found. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but really what, what the research did was document this experience in its myriad of forms, uh, you'll find that the SDE can happen in in all sorts of relationships. A very common one is, and it's sad, is a mother and a son. Um, As we know, um, you know, adolescent to young adult boys die at a a higher frequency than the general population. And, um, And we have a lot of mothers, primarily through the organization that, Brian, you and I are both, uh, I mean, you're actually very involved with them. And I uh, am too, as a guest speaker and presenter of sorts, but helping parents heal. So a mm-hmm. lot of uh, mothers in particular have shared their experiences with us. Uh, but the research really points out not just the features of it, uh, because there are some spectacular features when you think of people accompanying their loved ones into the afterlife and seeing deceased relatives and seeing elevated spirit beings and going to the light and and coming up against a boundary and sharing in past life reviews. All this is spectacular phenomena that we've documented. But what is most important in the research is the therapeutic benefits. The Mm -hmm. fact that people who have an SDE will say, we know that our loved ones are alive and well. We know we'll see them again. 
I no longer fear death and that their grief and bereavement is better. As we've said, it's, it has a comfort, it has a, excuse me, it has a, uh, a cushion to it, a certain, as one person says, my grief was lightened by my SDE, lightened, right. which is an interesting right. word. And then people come back with some sort of psychic abilities and a renewed purpose for their life. You'll see all sorts of people changing their um, their relationships in a good way, like maybe not changing them, but strengthening them or, mm-hmm. or doubling down on what matters most for them. Uh, and so these are positive transformational gifts. I think if there's anything you can say about the SDE, it's a transformational experience when it can be honored. And the way that it gets honored is um, through sharing it with people. And, um, you know, if you want to go see a skilled, you know, therapist or just a grief and bereavement, anybody who can really help you walk through it and affirm it, that does so much for grounding the experience in you. And then when you take an SDE, like any spiritual experience, and you work with it, it will invite you to do certain things. It will invite you to um, live often with a bit more awareness, mindfulness, consciousness, uh, maybe with a more integrity. Uh, yeah. You know, those types of things are what is very heartening to me as an SDE researcher and clinician that mm-hmm. I see how these experiences make people's lives better. Yeah, I, I love their. I love your where you are i mean being being a researcher but also being a psychotherapist and and seeing the you know this is fascinating to study from a scientific point of view but it's really important the the therapeutic benefit it has i think that's awesome so I, I and i was surprised to find out that you were able to get some of your research public and published in medical journals because it's only been very recently they've even paid any attention to to ndes so how do you feel like the medical community is coming along with this Thanks, Brian. Uh, it was quite an accomplishment, and I'm humbled by that, but also proud to say that when the American Journal of Hospice and Palliative Medicine published the first article on the SDE, and of course, you know, my team is the authors of that, and we published under Share Crossing Research Initiative rather than individual names because we have a a group of researchers that do it, myself as a mental health provider, Dr. Monica Williams as a uh, emergency room physician and Dr. Um, Michael Kinsella as a religious studies and cognitive science uh, doctoral doctorate. And so we take this at a really, we look at it at different angles. And I think the research reviewers, uh, the reviewers for these publications really appreciate how we do try to cover all the angles when you look at this medical psychotherapeutic, spiritual, religious. Um, And because of that, the reviews were uh, stunningly positive. Like, thank you for doing this research. As one reviewer said, we all know these experiences happen, but we've never seen a research study that's passed the uh, scholarly rigor to be published. And ours did. I mean, ours was, you know, it took us three years and we had 164 cases, um, you know, and we and I, I applied my typology to all of it. So they really got to see what an SDE is and the pattern now is well recognized. How is it being received in medical sciences? And you said this quite well earlier, Brian, 
that the uptake with the anything new in medical sciences, especially something like an SDE or NDE that challenges the medical sciences view of consciousness in relationship to the brain. Um, as you know, we know they, the medical sciences assert that the brain produces consciousness, both the NDE and the SDE um, cannot live in that paradigm. Right. So, so we have an idea of, you know, non-local consciousness and right. So, so that's a hiccup, a big hiccup that I think keeps a lot of um, a lot of medical doctors from publicly stating their affirmation for our work. Privately, I can tell you at conferences and such, healthcare providers of all kinds are like, "Thank you so much. Now I can, you know, go to our our rounds and our staff meetings and say, here's the article." We need to include this in our treatment protocols. Awesome. And no longer are we going to say things like you've had a, uh, uh, a death hallucination or right. you're just under a lot of stress. And no, I, I think increasingly those days are gone. Um, That's awesome. And, but it's a slow road and it depends yeah, yeah. on the region you are in the country. So, and that's why I say, you know, I'll say to your viewers, you know, if you can in any way, talk about this experience, even if you haven't had it, talk about it with your friends and family, and you'll find that people will say, oh, I think I might've had that. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and, you know, get the word out. Well, I want to say uh, congratulations on the medical journal and congratulations on the book published by Simon and Schuster. That's another big accomplishment. So I want to give the name of the book. We're running short on time, but I want to give you time to talk about your book. So, and, and the title I want to get into the show, it's At Heaven's Door, which shared journeys through the afterlife, teach about dying well and living better. So uh, tell me about your book. So the book really covers 28 um, shared death experiences from our research. And we have a lot, we have a large library of these cases. And I really try to tell the stories from a real human perspective. Mm. I stay away from the woo-wee because I don't believe the gift of the SDE is the spectacular phenomena. It is spectacular. It is awe-inspiring. But the real power and value is in the connection that endures through death and beyond. It's that ongoing relationship and that sense that my loved one is still alive and there still is relationship. And, and then it becomes the work of the individual griever uh, to decide how they want to shape and and, and uh, negotiate that relationship. So I, I, you know, and I do, I do use a variety of different relationships. There's mothers and sons, there's spouses, there's best friends, there's, healthcare workers, mm -hmm. um, you know, all sorts of different relationships that are all flavored differently. And, and at the end, my hope is that people come away with a sense of, wow, death is a lot more than I thought it was. And there's a lot more going on here. And there's a lot of beauty and love and understanding that comes when I can welcome death into my life and into my family. And I can allow myself to be 
transformed uh, by these experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, I, as you said, that welcome death into our families, it's like people are like, no, we don't want death. We want to keep death away. You know, that's, that's a bad thing. But, you know, I have aging parents. I was telling you before, I think we started recording my, my wife's, you know, we've gone through this with her parents and when you, and you mentioned the memory unit. So I go there and I see people losing who they are because their brains are failing them, not losing who they are because we're always whole on the other side, but physically that attachment is kind of wearing away and there becomes, a, there's a time for all of us to go. And it's, it's really great when you can look at it as not a bad thing, when you can look at it as a, as a next step in a journey. Yeah. So I thank you for doing what you're doing. It's really awesome. Well, Brian, thank you for um, honoring and acknowledging uh, my work because it's the first decade of this was largely an obscurity and fighting perceptions of woo wee. Um, and this is not woo wee. This is 100% human. We are all able to have this experience. Yeah, I can only imagine how hard that must have been. So again, I pr- appreciate your persistence. And I know you you kind of touched on it earlier, but you do some training in this. So tell people what the training opportunities are. Yeah, thanks. Um, I did mention the pathway training um, earlier. And, and it's if you go to sharecrossing.com and just go to, it's either programs or discover you'll see that we offer this pathway program online and in person. Um, I, you know, before the pandemic, uh, different um, groups or retreat centers would host me and I would, they would, you know, sponsor me. And so if you have people that want me to come out and do this, it usually takes a, a dozen or so people that make it worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, this is the training that basically gives people the capacity through practices to enable a shared death experience and other shared crossings. Can we guarantee that an SD is going to happen? No. I've already said about a quarter to 50% of our people report having them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think the training itself, it's a seminar is so moving for people because it's rare that you get to be with people who are talking so openly about their views of death and dying, what they want of it, what's possible, reviewing their lives together, talking about their death experiences, talking about their fears, and quite frankly, choreographing the death they want with their loved ones and including a shared death experience or other shared crossings. Yeah, I could see the training being worthwhile, whether you have having a shared crossing would be awesome, of course. But just that training um, is just like, you know, I've talked to people uh, and they've asked me about my perspective on death. And I was talking with someone just the other day. And this guy actually has OBEs often. He, he goes out of the body and he helps people cross. And we were talking. I said, I don't have a fear of death anymore. And he said, well, why is that? Have you had out-of-body experience? I said, no. So if you had a near-death experience? I said, no. But I've been studying near-death experiences for about 30 years. And there is a people, and Ken Ring did this research. People that study near-death experiences can have some of the same benefits. And I'm sure the same is, is true with the shared death experience and just talking about these things. And it just changes your mind. It changes your brain about the way you look at it. It does, Brian. And you brought up um, Ken Ring, who did, was dedicated to educating people about the NDE for its therapeutic benefits. 
And the term that that Ken and others coined was the benign virus. Yeah, I love that. And and the SDE is the same. One of the things, uh, experiences I love is at the end of a pathway training, we gather up for a picture and, you know, we hug and say goodbye and everything. But I, you know, as we're doing that, I just say, how do you guys feel about death and dying now? And they all, they all light up and say, I am excited. I'm ready. No, I don't want to die now. No, I don't want my loved ones to know, but when it comes, Mm -hmm. I'm ready. I am ready. And, and that just makes me feel so happy because so many people are surprised by death and we really shouldn't be. I mean, sudden deaths, yes. But, you know, so many of us have deaths that are kind of predictable in a certain way. I mean, the right, vast majority right. of people go into disease processes of one or the other, and you know they're heading towards the exit. And we're all doing a dance as if, you know, there's going to be a cure or we can prolong this or medical interventions are going to save this person. And, and it's really um, a rather traumatic exercise that's unnecessary. Yes. Um, so it's very sad. And I I say to people, it's the only thing we know with hundred percent certainty is that when you're born that you're going to die. And that's, but it's not a bad thing. That's that, you know, I know that some people that sounds really horrible, fatalistic, but it's just, it's true. And we might as well embrace it. And there's so much good, you know, it's, it's, so I, I, again, I I thank you for being here. We're, We're a little bit over on time. Uh, but William, it's been really enjoyable getting to know you. It's been fascinating. I hope I hope uh, more and more people come to Shared Crossing and find out what this is all about. Thank you. And I have one thing. If, if your viewers have read my book or are going to buy the book at some point, write a review because so many people come to Amazon or you know Barnes and Nobles or wherever you go. And I've learned from my publisher that 40% of the people that show up there will actually not know what book they're going to buy. And this is a type of book that if people see the good reviews on it, because they're saying afterlife, uh, sharing, shared crossing, or you know SDE, and they see a good review, it helps them if they see lots of reviews. So that's just a, that's a request for those of you who want to kind of support this advocacy for more knowledge about um, SDEs. Yeah. And I will I, echo, echo that as an author. And it's, almost impossible to get reviews. People will tell you how great your book is, but they don't, won't review it. So I'm going to say to, to anybody listening to this, please go to Amazon and, and review the book, read the book, review the book. I want and just to- one line, even one line, Brian, as you know, it's just like, it doesn't have to be a big long thing, just a five stars or four stars or whatever. And uh, yeah, and that just gets the word out in a good way. Yeah. Well, again, thanks. Thanks for being here. Um, enjoy the rest of your, of your afternoon, the rest of your weekend. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Grief to Growth. Brian hopes that you find this episode helpful and will come back for future episodes. Brian's best-selling book, Grief to Growth, Planted Not Buried, is a great resource for anyone who is coping with grief or knows someone who is. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to support it, there are three things you can do to help. The first is to share the podcast with someone that you think it will help. The second is to go to iTunes, rate, and review the episode. The third way you can support the podcast is by becoming a patron. Head over to www.patreon.com slash grief to growth. 
That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash grief, the number two, growth, and sign up to make a small monthly donation. Patrons get access to exclusive bonus content and knowledge that you are helping to spread the message of grief to growth. For more about Brian and grief to growth, visit www.grief2growth.com. Hey there, if you like this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you liked. If you didn't like this episode, come on over and talk about it. Let me know what you didn't like. Go to grieftogrowth.com slash community and look for talk about the podcast. I'll see you there.